Daniel 4 and, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to speak on a simple title and the title is Leave the Stump. Leave the Stump. Let's read the first few verses of Daniel 4, then we'll read, look at another few, but there's going to be quite a bit that we will look at. Daniel 4 verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Now would you just let your eye run down to verse 15 and we'll explain it later if it doesn't seem to make much sense to you. Verse 15. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Now let your eye run on down please to verse 23. And whereas the king, the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field until seven times pass over him. And then in verse 26. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the root of the trees, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou have known that the heavens do rule. Father, take your word. We thank you for the sense of your presence. And we know, Lord, that you're not only speaking to our hearts, but, Lord, you'll deal with us and help us, comfort us. And, Lord, wherever... Lord, we need spoken to you, even correction. We pray this morning that you would have your way. We love you, Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Leave the stump three times. Notice verses 15, verse 23, and in verse 26. Leave the stump. There was a tree to be cut down, and the orders were leave the stump three times. Now, that is in reference to Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, and what he was going to go through, what he was about to go through, and he didn't realize it. God had warned him there was a troublesome time coming, and he was to keep himself uh, understanding who really rules. Not him, but the heavens, as we read in verse 26. Now, notice this. I want to tell you how I got this little message I did read it during the week, but when I was on holiday a few weeks back, and I believe it or not, I'm home was two or three weeks already, and when I was on holidays, we were walking along a footway, footpath, and I suppose it was to stop traffic going up that way. There were posts in the ground, four or five, maybe, maybe six posts, and one of them was broken, broken off. And as we were walking, I remember I was walking with Alison and the girls, and I remember I said, watch that stump, you don't trip. So this 
about this much was left in the ground. And after a few days, funny, I thought, I found myself really maybe three times walking that direction. Watch that stump. Watch that. Because we tend to forget, don't we? And the time you don't say watch that stump is the time someone's going to trip and fall over it. And it was about the third time or so I was walking and I said, watch that stump. And I stopped. And I said to them, there's a sermon in that. There's a message in that. So all that day, all I could hear was, leave the stump. Leave the stump. Leave the stump. That's how I got uh, this message. Nebuchadnezzar, it says in our reading that he was in chapter 4 and verse 1, the king unto all people, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth. Now, that's not all the earth, obviously. But the Nebuchadnezzar of then and the Babylonian mystery religions are all in the earth today. And I've spoken on it many times. When you go home or when you get a chance, read Revelation, especially chapters 16 and 17 into 18. And it's the fall of Babylon. And I've spoken on it many times, the prophetic Babylon. The city is divided into three parts, uh, financially, ecclesiastically. And of course, then we have the government side of it, uh, of, we talk about the European Union and other things like that, Babylonian. And it's strange how the Lord has given us a picture of that even here. For example, seven times we read would be Nebuchadnezzar's fall and his judgment. And that is also symbolic of other seven times that are in the Bible. I'm not going to go down that route today because it's a big, big study into another time. But whenever we look at this, Nebuchadnezzar was the king and he had around probably 120 provinces or more or little nations and sort of kingdoms around him that he ruled over. We do know that later on that that did happen in the next kingdom, the inferior kingdom that was to come. Now note this. Nebuchadnezzar, in, for, for example, Daniel chapter 1. We have the house of Judah, the lower kingdom of Israel, being carried away captive into Babylon. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, we have Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And there's the man with the head of gold and arms and breasts of silver, the belly of brass and the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay. And that's prophecy, as we've taught about that many times. And that's in Daniel 2. Daniel interprets that and says to Nebuchadnezzar, thou art this head of gold. Next kingdom would come after him is found in Daniel chapter 5, after this chapter. And so it's Daniel, uh, Daniel prophesies of that, tells Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And then we ended Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 2, he says, Thou art this head of gold to Nebuchadnezzar. This is your kingdom, the head of gold. And what does he do? Nebuchadnezzar, he builds uh, an idol for all to worship. In the next chapter, we read Daniel chapter Three, and they were to worship it. And of course, Daniel wouldn't worship. We all know the story of that. And then we go into chapter 4. Now, it gives you the idea. God had already told him, this is who you see yourself as, a head of gold. This is the kingdoms that will come after you. And so he says, well, I'm going to build an idol and they'll worship me. Nebuchadnezzar, king in Babylon, and he's over all of these provinces, all of these people, and he thinks it's all of himself. And it's all to do with himself. Let me give you some details that I've written down about the city, the ancient city 
the literal city, not the, the mystical city we know today, that, that mystery religion that's around the world. But let me give you about the city which Nebuchadnezzar lived in, called Babylon. It is said it was square, square walls around it. And it said that if you walked around the four walls, there was a 60, 60 miles of a circumference to get around it. That's a big city. Even in today's standards, that is a big, big city. There were up to 2 million men worked on the city and its building. We're told that there were 25 gates of solid brass on each side of the walls of the city. So think of that. There's 25 in each. 100 gates to get in and out of the city. And in between every two gates, there was a watchtower. Two gates, there was a watchtower. Two gates, there was a watchtower. For 60 miles, the whole way around the city. We're told there were 50 main roads through the city, through these gates. 50 of them. Suppose it would be 25 going from one side to the other. 25 coming from one side to the other. So there would be 50, if you want, to come in and out of those. Every house, there was no terraced houses, little houses stuck together. Every house had gardens. No terraced houses. The city had great irrigation from the river Euphrates, which would run right through it. And in fact, we know in Revelation chapter 16 that I've taught on many times in prophecy, people say the river Euphrates must be dried up as one of the signs. And listen, and I told you, it's the river Euphrates is the fertile crescent where people populated. That river Euphrates dried up when the Turkish Ottoman Empire, which ruled over that, dried up around the turn of the last century, right into 1917, Allenby entering Jerusalem, dried up when the Turks were put out of Jerusalem, and then it dried up further still until the ending of the Sultan, which it became a Turkish Republic in the 1920s sometime, I think it was about 26 around there, forgive me if I've got the, the date wrong. So the river Euphrates is already dried up, and prepare the way for the kings of the east, After this, there was already the rising of the kings of the east, of China and Korea and all of those nations. The Japanese in World War II and and so on. Anyhow, I don't want to go into prophecy too, too much. So when we look at this, we can see that the river Euphrates was very important to the people in the city of Babylon. In fact, as well, uh, the river Euphrates was already dried up. And you'll find that it was dried up because when... Uh, in Daniel chapter 5, uh, Belshazzar's feast, and the writing comes on the wall, meaning, meaning, T. Kelly Farson, you'll find that at that time, God had numbered the, the kingdom and had found a Babylonian kingdom uh, wanting, wedded in the balances and art found wanting, he says. And that evening, or that night, Darius, and of course then Cyrus with him, the Medo-Persian, that next kingdom of the head of gold of the man of the Daniel 2, then the breast and arms of silver was for two. Daniel uh, <clears throat> spoke of the Medo-Persian kingdom coming together to take over that gold kingdom. And what they did was they dried up the river Euphrates because they couldn't impregnate the walls. And when they dried up the river, they went under the walls. And that's how they actually took over the city in the night. They dried up the whole river. So this river was very, very important to them. There was, <clears throat> they had their own reservoir of water from it in the city. There was a palace that stood at each end of the river Euphrates Bridge that was in it. And it was almost 
two miles around to walk around one of the palaces. And the other palace, there was seven and a half miles to walk around that other palace. This place was amazing. That's why one of our, what's known as the seven wonders of the world was the hanging gardens of Babylon. It was so amazing, this place. Nebuchadnezzar's wife grew up in media. That's where the media, Median Persians would come and take over the kingdom. And it was a mountain of Syria, and she was very unhappy. So what Nebuchadnezzar did, because Babylon was all flat, he built inside the city a 400-foot mountain for her. Built a 400-foot. He must have really loved her, or she must have been a real nag. One of the two. <laughs> I would build mine out of love, obviously. 400-foot mountain to make her feel at home. To make her feel at home. And so the main gate of the city was called the Ishtar Gate. Ishtar, many believe that this is where we get, the, it's from the goddess Ashtarte, or Ashtaroth that you hear of. And you're at a Ishtar. Sound familiar to you? Easter. Now notice this, the Ishtar Gate pierced the great walls, right? And what there was, was there was also an inner wall. For security as well. And the inner wall was called the Imgur Bell. The Imgur Bell. You know what it means? Bell, one of their gods. As in Beelzebub. Belshazzar. And so on. It means Bell has been gracious. Look what we have got. Hasn't Bell been gracious? And this led to what was known as the Procession Street or the Sacred Way where they went to what was known as Bel Marduk, the place where they went to worship in the mystery Babylon religions. There was also a place known in it in the outer wall called Nemeti Bel, and it means the foundation of Bel. So think of these names now. Ishtar, the goddess of heaven. That's the mother and child cult. The inner gate. Bell has been gracious. And then Bell's our foundation. This is in the world today, isn't it? Can you see it in the religion? You can see it around our monetary systems. You can see it in the worship of other things, other gods. You can see it in atheism and all of those things. Notice, an inscription was found which Nebuchadnezzar himself had written. It says this, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the mighty lord, the chosen of Merodach. Merodach really means the one of death and slaughter. I'm the chosen one of the god of death and slaughter. It's a god of war, and it means the god who is in rebellion against Yahweh. You ready for this? Now, remember this, the god who is in rebellion against Yahweh Let me read it again. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the mighty lord, the chosen of Merodach. Notice, worshipper of Nebo. I'll talk about that in a moment. The king vicar. In other words, he says, I am my God's vicar on earth. Babylonian. The king vicar. Notice, who judges without injustice. Notice what he says now. This is in his own writings. I have built like a mountain. I have built a Babylon, thus have I 
strengthened and entirely protected the whole country of Babylon. By thy help, O Morodak, I have built this house. He inscribes this himself, that he had built the house. They changed Daniel's name to try and get him to forget his God. Daniel means, Dan means judge. Tribal Dan is the judge. And El means Elohim or the mighty God. So it means God is my judge or judged by God or he would judge for God in the sense that he would give God's word. And they tried to change his name and they called Daniel Belteshazzar. And it means Bel's prince. You're no longer Yahweh's. You're no longer of the God of Israel. You belong to Bel. You're his prince. Now listen, that's what happens today to many Christians, isn't it? It's already happened in our nation. No longer do we want Yahweh, the God of Israel, to be our God. But rather we want the Baal God. We want the God, the Beelzebub, who allows us to lead licentious lives and allows people to do what they want and live how they want. And that's unfortunately what has happened in many Christian lives where the devil tries to relabel you with something you're not and relabel you to someone who you should not be. He did it with Daniel. I'm trying to change his own very name. I notice there's also another place, and I'll finish that part with this. There's also another place in it, and it's called Allah Bell, God of the Moon. You know who that is, don't you? You ever see it in the Islamic flags, the Islamic countries even, the semicircle of the, the half moon? It's all Babylonian. It's all from mystery religion. Nebuchadnezzar, his name means Nebuchadnezzar, may Nebo protect. May Nebo protect. It, it, it means other things and it alludes to other things. It means Nebo was also in conjunction means the God of Mercury. You ready? The foreteller. But it also gives the idea of the interpreter. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the interpreter of God and his word on earth. That he was the king vicar. The vicar of God. But it means may Nebo protect. Our protection is in Nebo. Or it actually means may Nebo protect the crown. May Nebo protect the crown. Will you turn with me to Isaiah 46, please? I want you to see. I think I'll do two weeks at this because it's, I'm going into things that I never thought I was going into this morning. And I want to minister more to you. But you know, whenever you're in, when you're in, when you're informed, information is good. You know that information is good, and information to help you through the scriptures should be there to build your faith and to help you those things. Notice Isaiah forty-six, just the first verse. You can read more when you go home or when you get a chance. Bell bareth down, and Nebo stoopeth. Who said that? Yahweh said that, Jehovah God. He says it through the prophets, 
to Israel who had allowed these gods into their nation and into their land. Hasn't changed much today, has it? But notice in the darkness of it all, when they're all enslaved by it, even if they don't realize they are, who buys Yahweh? Bell bows to Yahweh. Nebo stoopeth. He will stoop down. Their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loading. They are a burden to the weary beasts. So what the Lord was saying on the Israel were, you're worshipping gods that are not your gods. He said, I'm your God. Send to his people, I'm your God. And what they did was they made idols. And when they made their idols, and they moved their idols, they put it on carriages and carts, and they moved it. And because they were so heavy, made of stone and slab and so on, the old beast's legs were buckling beneath it. They couldn't carry it. And he's saying, your beasts are weary with your gods. Brothers and sisters, do you realize the things that you carry that are not yours? Not yours to carry. There's things we allow in our lives. They're not ours to carry. Give it to God. We put them on our own uh, mantle carts, as it were. In the carts of our heart. And we carry it in our minds and in our thoughts and we carry it that isn't ours to carry because there's things that we can't change that we need God to do. Notice, bell bath down, Nabal stupeth. Listen to Chuck Smith's comment. Are you ready? False gods must be carried. They cannot carry themselves. Rather than removing burdens, they become burdens. They could not deliver but have gone into captivity. So what the Lord is saying is, even the gods you're now worshipping, rather they're dead, uh, they're, they're demonic, they're depraved. They can't even help themselves. But he says, if you turn to me, I'm your help. I'm your strength. I'm your Lord. And I am your God. They can't even help you. In fact, you're the one who lifts them moves them, and your old beasts are wearied with them. Here's what I've written. False gods captivate a person's life. Now, I'm not saying that you, as Christians, that uh, I'm talking about you or I, that we go, oh, well, this is my God I worship. But sometimes we allow things to be like gods in our lives. We allow situations to become the Lord of our life where it dominates us. It rules us. We allow not only situations to dominate and rule us like gods in our lives, but we let fear and anxieties and worries and stresses, we let them become the gods of our lives. Because they're ruling us. They're taking us where they want us to, they would have us go. I think we're all guilty of it at some place, point in time. And what is it? It dominates, captivates and enslaves a person for the worse. I'd written this, he who worships pleasure becomes captivated by lust. Maybe that's a God in people's life. He who worships power becomes captivated by greed. And he or she who worships intellect becomes captivated by pride. Isn't that what we see on the earth today? The intellect, the intelligence, are full of pride. Everything against God. They're captivated and they've got these gods and they think, well, there's no God. I'm God of my own life. Do you know that's one of the things that the church of Satan 
actually teach? Did you know that? One of the founders of the Church of Satan says it's not even about all mystical devil worship. It's about teaching people first. They are God. Carry yourself. Carry your own life. And don't leave it in the hands of God. And whenever Nebuchadnezzar made Nebo protect the crown, you know, Nebo couldn't protect the crown. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn a lesson. And sometimes the Lord brings us into the woodshed that we would learn a lesson as his people. And the unbeliever will find that God will even bring our nation. Our nation's going to learn a lesson. We're learning a lesson, but we're going to learn a lesson. Nebuchadnezzar was about to find out that it wasn't Nebo who was the protector of the crown, but Yahweh, the God of Israel. He was the protector of the crown. Look at Daniel 4 and verse 1, please. So Nebuchadnezzar, we have the king. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 2. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the, the high God hath wrought toward me. Notice, he's looking to the high God, and here it seems as though he's looking towards Yahweh. But you see what he's doing? He's looking back now with hindsight of what has actually happened. Daniel's writing this. We need to see what happened to me because I lost everything and I became nothing. But God in his grace and in his mercy said, leave the stump. Can you see the grace in it now? Instead of God saying, I'm going to totally eradicate you. Instead of him saying, I'm going to totally destroy you. I'm going to take everything away from you. God says, leave the stump three times. Notice here in verse 3. Notice how great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Now notice this. Nebuchadnezzar would learn that not only that he is, not only what he is, but he would also learn the will, the plan, and the purpose of God. Notice now as we go further into this chapter, I, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 4, was at rest in mine house and my flourish, and flourishing in my palace. Rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Now listen, that's a blessed place to be. That's a real blessing when your house and yours is at peace and you have everything you need and you're well provided for and you're gloriously looked after. What a brilliant place to be you need nothing it's the most dangerous place to be because then you forget God isn't that true you know what we we pray for something for so long God gives us it and then God sort of starts being edged out why well we're contented now we're comfortable now we're at peace and we're at rest now you know and look at everything everything's great you know what happens? It's then, I don't need him as much. Start moving away from him. I've got what I want, what I need. And Nebuchadnezzar done the same. Now God showed me, was showed me this. I was having to check my life. I was having to check my walk with the Lord. Areas where maybe I'd let slip. Verse 5. 
I saw in a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. So he has a dream, has a vision. He's resting at peace and everything's great and he's flourishing. God gives him this dream. And what happens? It makes him afraid. Now, it's human nature, isn't it, that we could get a, a tinge of conviction, that little dagger of the heart that speaks to us in a meeting through the word or whatever, or maybe we're praying and God shows us something as we're taking our quiet time in the word of God, and, and suddenly we're like, Lord, I, I know you're speaking to me, and I'll, I'll, I'll get this right, or I'll fix this thing, or I'll yield this up, or I'll hand this over, and I know it's right, and I don't like it, but I'm going to do it, but you don't. <laughs> I know the preacher was right this morning. I know I've been like that. I know I've done that. I know I'm going that way. I know it. I know it. I know it. Oh, it's really got to me. Visions in my head and dreams. Uh, I'm going to change it. So what does he do? He gets Daniel to come. Tell me what it is. And he's told you're going to go through a difficult time. Why? Because you've been lifted up. You've got a ring. You're not, you want. You forgot God. Turn with me to, verses 20, to verse 28. So after the interpretation, we'll look at it, God willing, next week. After the interpretation, it says, all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was going to be cut down to size. God was going to take away from him. God was going to bring him right down to a stump. He would go mad, in other words. And he would eat grass like a cow. His hair would grow and be matted like feathers. His nails would become like claws. He would be set away and set apart. And everyone would say, Nebuchadnezzar, man, why? What happened to him? All because he was lifted up. Notice this. All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. Notice at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. Oh, what a foolish man. A year later, God gave him a year. Give him the vision. Give him the interpretation. And God gave him a year. Everything was taken from him. And before it was all taken, before it happened, God says, here's grace. Give me a space. Get it right. Clean it up. Do it right. It's me. And he stands in the palace 12 years later. Look what I have done. Look what I've accomplished. I'm at peace and flourishing and I don't need anyone but my gods. The gods of everything I am. The gods of everything I have. The gods who I believe have blessed me. Forget about the God of heaven. He might be there somewhere or the high God as he calls him. The high El Ochim. How soon do we forget him, brothers and sisters? How soon do we forget him? And sometimes our life, one moment we seem to waken up in life and say, how did this happen to me? Where am I here? There's trouble all around us. Seems like nothing's going right. 
cut down to a stump. After all I've had in the Lord, how did I get here? How did my life get here? That seems very negative because it happens to us. Sometimes we wonder, well, how did I get the way I'm feeling and the way things are? And sometimes it's not even, you know, we, we can't grasp hold of life. Brothers and sisters, here's what I would say to you this morning. When you go home, go give thanks to God. Give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ for all he's done. And don't be saying, I have had the visions in my head and these dreams, and I really know the interpretation of what God's speaking to me or what was said this morning in the meeting. Get your dinner and it's all forgot about. And a year later you wonder, what happened? What has happened? It's easy for, I'll, I'll bring it personally for me, it's easy for a pastor to see the uh, um, let me bring it to us, to me. It's easy for me to see the work that God's doing in CET and all the avenues. And, and we're only just over two years old and all the leaders and the teachers and, and the things that go on during the week when, obviously, when it's summer and people are away on holidays but, and, and the church packed every meeting and all of these things and all the musicians. And, and, and it's e- it would be easy for me to say, oh, well, you know what? They must be coming because I'm so good. Dear, love you. Coming because God's brought you. You're here because we know there is word, worship, and there's fellowship. It's not because of one man. Speaking of myself, it's because God wants like-minded people to be together in fellowship. It's because he wants you to be in your place of worship that you'll be strengthened for not only the day, but that you'll hear the word and you'll be in the place where his name is exalted and lifted up. And it happens in other places I'm speaking of here. It's not because of one man. You know, it's so easy to have a puffed up mind. I get a puffed up mind. We all do at times. Sometimes the mind starts getting puffed up, but God has got a wonderful way of getting out his scriptural pin and busting the bubble. It's not right. Nebuchadnezzar says, Look at I have rest and flourishing. I want you to know this morning as senior pastor of this place pastor or not being here today but Anza away and the kids but for me I appreciate every one of you I don't care who you are there's no one any less or more than anybody else love every one of you in the Lord and I mean that and I appreciate you this isn't of me Many times I say to the Lord, when I'm driving here, Lord, why do the people come here? We're all here because God has us here. Together. Together. Let me round this up and we'll finish it. And I'll do part two next week and we'll look at 
I was on the phone with Pastor Aaron during the week and I was thinking about this. I hadn't even written it yet. And it was in my head. And I thought, I'm going to speak on this. And I was telling him about it. Sometimes we'd talk about it and he'd ask me things about what he's going to speak on. And we'd be talking about it. And I says, it's all about Leave the Stump. I says, I couldn't get a title for it. So I just called it Leave the Stump. But before I even thought of Leave the Stump, I was going to call it Stumpy's Return. Stumpy's return because the, the grace of God is although Nebuchadnezzar deserved everything he got, grace and mercy found him. God says, I'm not done with him yet. I'm not done with him. Brothers and sisters, we'll look at maybe God willing more next Sunday morning, but God's, you might feel like you're the stump. Well, listen, Stumpy's return. God's not done with you yet. And you may be going through a tough time and a rough time. Listen, Stompy, he's not finished with you yet, okay? Let me try and bring this up here. It was at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom. It was his power and his majesty and it was his might. Listen to what the psalmist says. Psalm 75, verse 5. Lift not up your horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck. Verse 6. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. Notice in verse 7. But God is the judge. He putteth one down and setteth up another. Who put you there, Nebuchadnezzar? Who blessed you with all of these things, Nebuchadnezzar? Even a heathen God. Do you not know God is sovereign? God just doesn't bless his people. God is sovereign to bless who he wants. Now why would he bless this heathen king? Simply because after him, and if my memory serves me right, Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar is his grandson, I think. So he, he has not only he doesn't take it from his son, but his grandson. He has the Belshazzar's feast that it's known in the man's hand appears and the judgment comes that we've spoken of. And, and the thing is, why would he bless somebody like that? I'll tell you why we bless somebody like that. Because God has a plan and a purpose greater in the earth than for his people. And so they were to be those people that God would give us as a sign. That's why Revelation chapters 16, 17, 18 speaks of mystery Babylon. Now we can learn from Babylon to see what it's like in the earth today, only in a greater or wider sense. The next kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, Cyrus was the one after 70 years who released the house of Judah or the remnant of the Jews to go back to build the walls and the temple, Ezra and Nehemiah. He, he was, he, the kingdom couldn't finish there. It was different people ruling it, but nevertheless it was taken on. Alexander the Great would come, and what would he do? He would bring the, the Greek that we would see in our New Testament. The Roman Empire, the Caesars would come, the legs of iron of the dream in Daniel chapter 2. What would they do? They would crucify the Christ at the behest of the Pharisees. God had a plan, a purpose. So if God's blessing somebody and they're ungodly, 
Don't you get jealous about it? Because sooner or later it's going to come tumbling down. God is the judge who sets one down and lifts up another. Notice, let me finish. Lift not up your horn, says the psalmist. And it means uh, don't have a bounding pride. You know, people would say here, he or she, or they're blowing their own trumpet. Blow the trumpet and let themselves be known, let themselves be seen, and let themselves be heard. And lift not up your horn is, don't have a bounding pride like you're blowing your own trumpet. Speak not with a stiff neck. Let me just quote this from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I think he's brilliant in this. Many would get offended today at this. But listen to Spurgeon on this. Speak not with a stiff neck. Ready? I quote. Impudence before God is madness. The outstretched neck of insolent pride is sure to provoke his axe. Those who carry their heads held high shall find that they will be lifted up yet higher as Haman was on the gallows which he had prepared for a righteous man. Silence, thy silly boaster. Silence, or God will answer thee. Who art thou, thy worm, that thou shouldest arrogantly object against thy lawmaker's laws and cavil at his truth? Be hushed, thy vainglorious prater of vengeance, or vengeance shall silence thee to thine eternal confusion. Don't hear too many preachers like that today, sure you don't. So I'm definitely closing. Pride of Nebuchadnezzar is seen all over our nation. There's even parades about it. Pride. Isaiah 42 and 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory will I not give to another, neither may praise to graven images, he says. So listen, Nebuchadnezzar, listen to everyone who has pride. Proverbs 11 and 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. There's very little shame with them at the minute. Very little shame with most men and women at the minute. Proverbs 16 and 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And in Hosea chapter 5 and verse 5. And in Hosea chapter 7 and verse 10. It says the pride of Israel. In both accounts, the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. They arrogantly thought What God said didn't really matter compared to their own opinions and desires. That's what it means. What does it mean when we see man's pride and when we see pride period? What your word says doesn't really matter. That's what my desire is. Why? Because I am the Lord of my own life. God of my own destiny. And listen, it's also about choice. Not of sexuality, as they say, but of abortion. Why are the two together? That's another story. 
Brothers and sisters, may we remember God today. May we go home and say, Lord, help me to go on with you. For without you, Jesus, I can do nothing. Amen? Amen. God bless his word to all of us this morning.